this morning, uh, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 14, actually, all the way through 14, as we continue in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's now go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the preaching of your word. Lord, make, make what is in your word clear to us. And Lord, where we, where we do not understand, give light. We pray that we would be a people who, who seek you humbly, a people that find their way to your table, and a people who, who eat richly because of your richness to us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you love a good meal, mouth-watering feasts, then the book of Luke is for you. The gospel of Luke is your gospel. And I think that describes most of us. Um, You see, it seems like Jesus is always eating in this gospel of Luke that we've been going through, doesn't it? It it seems like he's, he's always coming from a meal, going to a meal, or talking about a meal. Um, you know, just, just a few weeks ago in, in chapter 13, 
Remember that image that Jesus gave us of a banquet? Here it is again in our text. And this isn't the last time. We'll see it. We'll see it over and over again. Um, Why is this? Why does Jesus keep uh, bringing us face to face with meals, with feasts, dinner tables? Well, notice with me that meals, good fellowship and good food is a picture of the gospel. It is just like this picture waiting to be used for the the glories of the gospel. Um, what, What is it that is so enjoyable about sitting down at a meal? Well, it's that fullness of satisfaction that we have after we've eaten good, delicious food. But it's also the fellowship, the sense of belonging and participation that we have at the table. And these things lie at the heart of the gospel. Hence why Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of the gospel as, 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 a, as a wedding feast, the kingdom of God as a dinner table that you're invited to, to sit around. We're going to see this picture unfolded, not just one week, but, but two weeks, as this week we look at the dialogue you've just heard, and the next week the dinner goes on. This is a really involved feast that Jesus is at, and it's a lot to tackle in, in in, uh, in one week, and so we're going to span it out over two. Well, this week, what stands out is not just that picture of, of the gospel as a, as, a, um, as a dinner table that we sit around, but also the very rude manners, the very poor table etiquette of some who dine with Jesus. I remember when my mom sent uh, me and my sister around 11 years old to this class to learn table etiquette. We were awful, right? We're chewing with our mouth open. Food was falling over the, all over the place. And my mom said, it's time you learn some manners at the table. This is exactly, well, it's, it's a picture of what Jesus is doing here as he meets these Pharisees. He's coming along and saying, let me teach you the table etiquette of the kingdom of God. Let me teach you the kind of posture you ought to take when you come to eat at table. Here's what he wants them to see. Here's what he wants us to see as now we have that beautiful invitation to come to the table. The way to glory at God's table is through humility. If you want to rise up to greatness at God's feast, then you must first fall down in humble service. And Jesus sets the scene for this lesson with, we could call it a little appetizer, right at the beginning of our text. Verses one through four, what do we see? That Jesus has been invited as a guest to a dinner party by none other than a prominent Pharisee. Who are the Pharisees? The the leaders of Jesus's day, the religious leaders. We've already, already noticed some of the tension building last week increasingly between Jesus and the Pharisees. But someone else is at this feast. A man with a serious condition, a condition called dropsy. Now, what, what is this? This is a condition in which one's body retains fluid and it leads to massive swelling. It starts to break down the critical organs of the body. And so here is this desperate man at this feast. Now, right away, some questions pop into our mind. What is Jesus doing at this Pharisee's house? 
And what is this man, this unclean man doing at this house of a prominent Pharisee? And we, we have to read between the lines of the text to get here, but there is a high likelihood that this is a setup. In fact, you see the language that the Pharisees are watching him, trying to catch Jesus, doing that very thing that they, they think is so awful, healing on the Sabbath. So here's Jesus, invited by his enemies so his, his enemies can keep him closer, and here's this man with dropsy put right in front of a savior who seems to heal everyone he can get his hands on. And, and here's silent Pharisees just waiting for Jesus to do what they think he's going to do. He's going to heal this guy. And that's the very thing that they think is such a horrible thing to do on the Sabbath. Why? Because they've added and piled on their man-made rules on top of this day of mercy, this day of rest. And they've made it So that this Savior can't even show mercy, can't even show kindness to someone on a day that is most fitting for kindness. But look at what Jesus does. He speaks to the Pharisees. He speaks to these wolves that are waiting to pounce. And he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Silence. Then the next thing he does answers his question. He seizes the man. Literally, he takes hold of him in this picture that is, uh, is in, it's intense in its language. It's like a visible inbreaking of the kingdom of God as he heals this man, grabs him. He's cured of his dropsy. And then he finishes this off with a statement for the Pharisees. Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? You care for your animals on, on the day of rest. You care for your children on the day of rest. I can't show mercy to this man. And so what we see in this little appetizer, this little healing before the meal starts is, is, is a, a reminder of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and a reminder of who they are. Who are they? What kind of people would be so heartless that they would remain silent when healing is available to this man? What kind of people would use this desperate man as a, as a kind of pawn in their game? Well, what we need to see is they are kind of people who have given their hearts to the world's path to greatness. The world's path to greatness. And what is the world's path to greatness? Well, it is the path of self-promotion. Jesus says in verse seven, if you look there, that Jesus, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose those places of honor. Here's the scene. The appetizer is over. Dinner is served and the guests start to find their, their seats. But Jesus just sits back and watches a disturbing scene unfold. Now, this is interesting because they think they're watching Jesus, but he's actually watching them. And what does he see? He watches as they elbow their way to the best seats in the house. He watches as they compete for those prestigious places of honor around the, the dinner table. Now, you know what the best seats are, right? The seats 
that catch the most attention. And in Jesus's day, uh, people would recline at table around this U-shaped, uh, this U-shaped structure, this table that, that they would kind of lean over um, against on a couch. And the seats of honor were the ones that were right next to the host who was right in the center of that U. And, and so the best seat was the one right, uh, on the right side of the host. And, and the second best seat was the one on the left of the host. And the third best seat was the one uh, double to the right of the host. Anywhere that would catch the most gaze as people look lovingly up to the host, but then see those that are seated around him at the same time. And so Jesus watches these guests move with strategic intent for those seats. What do they do? You know, maybe a few rush to the, the front of the line so that they can have, have the seat that they choose first. Or maybe some move more stealthily with strategic with, with uh, incredible strategy, maybe leaning up against the seat that they want to choose, you know, um, circling their way around the dinner table, you know, moving in on that location where they want to sit. We don't know the specific strategies, but we know this, that Jesus sees them moving with this one thing on their mind, that seat's mine. And Jesus sees through this charade for what it really is, it is shameless self promotion. Self-promotion doesn't end there because later he turns to the host in verse 12, right? He's, he, he's identified the self-promotion of the guest, but he sees the same thing in the host. What does he say to the host? He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Jesus is saying, look at the kind of people you've invited to this dinner. They're the kind of people that can give you something in return. They're the kind of people who will earn you an invite to their feasts. Those are the wrong people. This is self-promotion. And I want you to see, friends, that all of this, the vying for the best seats, the, the, the inviting those people that, that can repay you, this is the way of worldly glory. Same way, the same thing we see over and over again in our world. You want to go up higher? You want to rise to glory? Then you've got to rise up and you've got to take it before you're left in the dust. You got to put yourself in the spotlight before someone else does. You've got to make the move to 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 invite your uh, to invite those people who will earn you higher status. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in Mere Christianity: Pride is competitive. Pride is competitive, and we see this. We see this in our schools where you've got the in crowd and, and, and with all the popular kids sitting at their table, those seats of honor with maybe, you know, the most popular girl uh, right in the middle of the ring. And then the tables in the outside scattered with the kids who look longingly to belong there. And you see it in politics. Just look at the smearing, the, el- the elbowing, the lies that people spend to weasel their way into the spotlight just for their moment in the sun, just so they can be in that room where it happens see it in the marketplace that, you know, dog eat dog world, ruthless pursuit of those spots up the, up the ladder of the, uh, the chain of command. You see it with the self posturing on social media 
or even humility has become part of this self-promotion. Look at how more humble I am than everyone else. Look at how much more I care. You all need to see this. And if, of course, it can find its way into the church or how quickly we can slip into that danger of uh, only wanting to do those things of service that get us recognition. That's a, that's a danger we need to look out for as we grow as a church plant. Uh, I'm so encouraged to see that this does not seem to be uh, prevalent now, but it could become the heartbeat of our church because it is the heartbeat of many churches. And all of this points to a deeper issue, the issue of the heart, the issue that lies right at the heart of all of this self-promotion and it's pride. C.S. Lewis has already said it, that pride is competitive and we want recognition. We want to feel the warmth of the world's spotlight on our face. We want to hear the crowds cheer at our brilliant insights and laugh at our clever jokes We want the joy of a thousand likes on one of our Facebook posts. Why? Because these things tell us you matter. You're something. You're a great guy and the world knows it. And they love you. One scholar calls this salvation by recognition. Salvation by self-promotion. And it is the way of the world And it is absolutely exhausting. Imagine how, maybe you've even felt this, how tiring it is, how completely exhausting it is to perform and compete in this way. It's so unsettling to wonder, how long will this moment of glory last? How long until I'm knocked down by by another who's greater than me and someone takes my place? Um, And it's scary to wonder, what if I never make it to that in crowd? What if I never make it to that seat? Well, Jesus gives us an alternative to all this. He gives us a way out. He gives us a way to exit the game of self-promotion and to enter into his humble way of service around the dinner table. And that's what I want us to see next. It's the Savior's way of humble service, and it begins with taking the lowest seat. Notice the parable in verse 8. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. What does all this sound like at first? It sounds... Like Jesus is just giving a helpful piece of advice to these Pharisees. It kind of does, doesn't it? It's like, hey, you're playing the game wrong. Here's, here's how you can change it up. In, in fact, you could read it in a certain way where it would almost sound like Jesus is catering to their self-promotion and just teaching them how to be more stealthy about it. But Jesus is actually giving us something far different. When we lean into this text, what I want us to see, Jesus is giving us more than useful advice. He's actually giving us this upside down reversal of the kingdom. And he's showing us a new way of coming to the table. And it starts with taking the lowest seat. 
Now, wait a minute. We hear about taking the lowest seat and we wonder, Jesus, you want me to stay in the background? You want me to let other people step into the spotlight and just not care about that? Yes. Yes. That's exactly what Jesus is, is saying here. You want me to, uh, to invite people into my life, into my circle of friends who can do nothing for me, who will actually ruin my reputation in the eyes of the world? Yes. That is the way of humble service in the kingdom. What does that look like? What does it look like as, as you go to take the lowest seat around that table? Looks like putting on the servant's apron and showing hus- hospitality to different people, difficult people. That's humble service, saying, inviting the crippled, the lame, the blind, those in the world who can give us nothing. In fact, what will they bring? What will these kind of people bring as we invite them into our homes? as we invite them to our church. They'll bring, really, complicated troubles, messy lives, lives that, that, that those who are rich and prestigious, if they have those kind of troubles, they don't want to air them. When you invite the crippled, the lame, and the blind into your life, into your world, you're asking for humble service. You show humble service when you help your friend prepare to teach a Bible study, even though you know you'll never be recognized. You'll you'll know your name will never be dropped. You do it because you want to see them use their gifts to the glory of God. That's humble service. You show humble service when you meet your, your brothers in Christ where they're at with all their COVID sensitivities. And you, and you humble yourself and you do what it takes to show them care, to bring them into the fold, to keep them at that place at the Lord's table. That's humble service, lowering yourself, honoring the weaker brother. Romans 12.10 says this, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's what this looks like outdoing one another and showing honor. And, and here's the twist that comes. When you see this, this humble posture taken around the dinner table of the kingdom of God, there's a twist that happens. Because Jesus says, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then Jesus finishes off with this profound saying, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, here's the crazy thing of the ethics of the kingdom. Here's what our world struggles so hard to get. Honor is not the way the world thinks about it. It's not like a piece of the pie that one person takes away from another. No, When everyone shows honor to their neighbor, when everyone takes the lowest place in the kingdom of God, everyone ends up honored. That's the way that it works. Honor isn't something to be divvied up or pulled away from. 
This is, this is this paradoxical message that as we lower ourselves, we actually found ourselves lifted up by the Savior. As he says, friend, come up higher. New friends, come up higher. Join me at the place at my right hand, at my left hand, the seats of honor. Just imagine what that would be like as we bear witness to this in a world, in a world that is increasingly reflecting this narrative that honor is something to be pulled away at and honor is something to be traded. And we see this pawn game, this never-ending cycle of, of, um, of oppressor and depressed, of honored and dishonored. What if the world would stop this? What if our church could be a beacon in the light of this and say, no, we're all going to lower ourselves. Black and white are going to lower themselves to one another. Rich and poor are going to lower themselves in humble pride to one another. Because we believe Jesus when he says that we'll all be exalted when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may lift us up. Brothers and sisters, this is the pattern of the Savior and that's what I want you to see. That as we, we seek to walk out of this game that our world plays, that our churches are so tempted to play, and as we step into a new pattern, we're really stepping into the pattern of the Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the very source of our humble service. Philippians 2 says this. You've heard it before. Hear it again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Christ took the lowest seat. Christ took the lowest seat possible. He, he took on human flesh and he went all the way to the point of death. He did this so that he could welcome the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, so that he could invite sinners to the place of honor at his table. And what was the end of all this for Christ? all this humble service, all this humble lowering of himself. Well, we hear in the next verse, Philippians 2.9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. This is that pattern that I've been telling you about over and over again. You could call it the great J curve of the Christian life, that Jesus was, was humbled down and lowly, offering himself in servant-like fashion for sinners, only to in the end be exalted and placed at that highest place. And who did he take with him? All of those sinners that he had exalted through his humble service. So now, friends, let us follow him. Let this be the pattern at our dinner table, the, the feast of the kingdom. Let us outdo one another in showing honor. While all the while, we expect to hear that voice of, of the Savior in this life, but, but especially on the last day. Friend, friends, 
come up higher. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a, uh, a message that profoundly interrupts the game of our world, that invites us to step out and to take a posture of humble service, but in doing so, to not give up on, on that hope that one day we will find our place at, uh, at that place of honor, but instead knowing that because we humble ourselves, you promise to exalt the one who does this in Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen.